If you have your Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We did read the passage today, and in fact, we're just going to be glancing at a phrase, but I'd like you to at least be there. It's page 830 in the Bibles the church provides. We're going to be studying just the first half of verse 14. While you're turning, I want to remind you that Satan is known by many descriptions in the Bible. Last week, we started a series in the book of Ephesians on spiritual warfare, and we talked in part about our enemy, the devil, Satan. He has many descriptions in the Bible. The scariest of all is the fact that he is known as the evil one. He is pure evil. There is no good in him. That is by far and away the scariest description of our adversary. He is evil. There's no mercy. There's no grace. There's no kindness. There's no patience in him. He is the evil one. But think for a minute, if you will, what's the second scariest description of Satan we're given in the Bible? Clearly that he's evil is the worst, but what is the second scariest? Well, I was going to give you some choices, but you already figured it out. (laughs) It is that he is a deceiver. Think about this. If I were to tempt you, and he's a tempter, you would know it. If I were to oppose you, and he is our adversary you would know it. If I were to accuse you, you would know it. But if I were to deceive you, you would have no idea what was going on. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When Eve eats the fruit and God comes to hold her to account and says, what have you done? She doesn't say, Satan tempted me. And he wore me down. And I finally gave way and ate the fruit. She doesn't say he kept attacking me over and over and over again. And I couldn't take it anymore. And so I finally ate the fruit. Instead, what she says is, he deceived me. You see, when she took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in her hand, she actually thought it would bless her. She thought this was good. He had so deceived her, she had no idea what she was doing. And that's a very scary reality. That Satan has the power to deceive. That he is the father of lies. That he is the spreader of darkness, the prince of darkness. And the problem is, is that when he is active deceiving people... We don't know that it's going on. This is why we think about Satan as a deceiver, that Paul begins discussing the armor that God has given us in verse 14 in the first half. Look at what he says. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is the very first piece of armor that God describes to us that we have been given to help us stand against our adversary. And the reason this is the first piece 
is because when you think of the power that Satan has, the scariest thing he can do is deceive us. And so God says, the very first thing I give to you is a belt of truth. Now, when we think about belts, we normally think about the thing that you put on last. For the Roman soldier, this would not be the case. It would be the thing you would put on first. I have an example of what a Roman soldier's belt might look like here on the platform. And this was not something you put over the rest of your armor. It was like a girdle or uh, something you wore underneath of your armor. You strap this around your waist first, and then you put the rest of the armor on. It's sort of the thing that holds it in place, that everything rests upon. That's the imagery that's in mind here. That when we think about standing against the evil one, when we think about being a successful and not allowing him to overcome us, the first thing we are to do is to equip ourselves with truth. Because Satan is the father of lies, and he is a deceiver. This is very similar. If you remember when we were in our Ten Commandments of Community, what was the first commandment? Talk truthfully. So here, as we look at the armor, the very first piece of armor has to do with equipping ourselves with the truth God has given to us. Satan is the father of lies, but God has given to us the spirit of truth. That he's given us his word, which is truth. That he has placed Jesus himself in our hearts, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that if we are to have any hope of standing against Satan, it begins here with truth. His first weapon is deceit. And our first defense is truth. This morning, as we think about the belt of truth, what I'd like to do is not talk to you about the belt of truth, but I would like to help us as a congregation put on the belt of truth. And in order to do that, what I want to do is go through the eight great lies that Satan tells us. Now, of course, there are an innumerable number of lies that he tells us. But these eight seem to be primary to me. Now, I want to say up front, these are lies that Satan tells specifically to Christians. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan is deceiving you, but he uses a different set of lies, a different host of lies with those who are non-Christians. This morning... I want to focus on the lies that he tells to those who are believers because that's really what this passage is talking about. Ephesians 6 is talking about Satan attacking those who have already placed their faith in Christ. So what I want to do is I want to walk through these eight great lies that Satan uses with those of us who are believers. Line number one. If I cannot see God, it must mean that he is not here. 
If I can't see God, if there's no evidence for God, if there's no tangible proof, then certainly God must be absent. This is the lie that Satan uses with Jesus. When he's tempting him in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus has been alone by himself without food. And he's beginning to wonder if God has abandoned him. And Satan comes to him at the end of that time and he takes him to a high height and he says, jump off and angels will catch you. Now, why would anybody do that? Well, what Satan is offering to Jesus is tangible proof that God has not abandoned him. He says, prove it to yourself. If you are the son of God, give yourself some assurance. Give yourself something tangible you can sink your teeth into so that you can know after these 40 days of feeling alone, wouldn't it be nice to know that God's here? Make him prove it to you. And the lie that is beneath that is the idea that if we can't see God, he must not be there. And Satan continues to lie to us this way. That in the middle of suffering or the middle of discouragement, he whispers in our ear, God has abandoned you. Where is he? You keep praying. Why doesn't he do something? He says to us, if God was with you, he could have stopped that sexual assault from happening. He must not be around. He must not care. If God was with you, he could heal you. Where is some sort of tangible sign? If there's no visible evidence of God's presence, it's because he's abandoned us. And that's the lie that Satan is constantly whispering in our ears. But the truth is, God has said the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Never, under no circumstances, no exceptions, he will never ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. God is always, always, always with us. The lie is if you don't see him, he must not be there. The truth is he's always there. He has never left your side for even the slightest moment. In your darkest day and my darkest day, In the time we felt most abandoned, he's never been gone from us. There is no place that you can go. There is no place that you can be that God is not present with you. There is nothing that you can do to drive him away from you. He will never leave you or forsake you. First Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. There is evidence of God's presence. It may not be visible, it may not be tangible, but God is present, and when God is present, there is joy, there is peace, there is comfort that God brings. We want physical, tangible signs. Well, heal me if you're here. Protect me if you're here. And God says, I am always with you. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For you are with us. Never, ever, ever will God leave or forsake one of his children. It will never happen. 
Line number two that Satan tells us. God is withholding good from me. I know what's best for me and he's not allowing me to have it. God is withholding good from me. This was the lie Satan began with in the Garden of Eden. He says to Eve, you're not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, are you? And then he says, it's because God doesn't want you to have something. If you were to eat of it, you would have, you would be like him, knowing good and evil. He's keeping that from you. God is repressing you. He's holding you back. And this is a lie that Satan continues to tell us. He whispers in our ear, look, don't get serious about God and all that Bible study. You're going to end up, he's going to send you as a missionary to Africa and you're going to be miserable. (laughs) Don't follow God. If you do it now, he's going to keep you from enjoying your teenage years and your college years. There's plenty of time in the future. If you follow God, he will stop you from having the fun that you deserve to have. God is a cosmic killjoy. Don't follow him. (laughs) He does tell us that. God's trying to take away your money. He's trying to take away your friends. God wants to keep you from experiencing popularity or from power or success. Satan continues to lie to us and tells us that God has good, but he refuses to give it to us. He tells us, you know what's best for you. You know, if you just had a little more money, if you just had better friends, if you were just married, if you had any of these things, if you, had a, if you looked different, if you got a better job, then your life would be better. And the implication is God is keeping you from all of those things. But the truth is, Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a son and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. There is not one good thing that God is withholding from you today. We think if I just had more money, if I just could have children, if we just could have healing in this situation, we think it would be better for us. But God says, if it was good, I would give it to you. He says to David, look at all the stuff I've given you. And if it had been too little, I would have given you more. Ephesians says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He says to Israel, look, I got, some, I got some land I want to give you, but I'm not going to give it to you all at once. Because if I did, it would destroy you. You can't handle it. So I'm going to give it to you a little bit at a time. That's what he does for us. He only gives us as much good as we can handle. If more money would really be a blessing to us, he would give it to us. But he knows in many of our cases it would be harmful. If healing from this sickness would be in our best interest, he would gladly give it to us. There is no good thing he withholds from those he loves. That's why he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I know you need all this other stuff. 
and I will give it to you. Line number three. There are no lasting consequences for sin. Sin is not that bad. Line number three that Satan tells, there are no lasting consequences for sin. Sin's not that bad. This too is part of what Satan said to Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden. He says to them, what did God say? What would happen if you eat that fruit? You'd die? No, no, no. You're not going to die. There aren't really consequences for those sin. Nothing really that bad is going to happen to you. It's the same lie he continues to tell us today. He whispers in our ear, sexual immorality, that's not really going to damage your soul. Go ahead, you can view pornography. God's going to forgive you for it. What's the big deal? If you get divorced, yes, it, it might hurt for a while, but you'll recover. Everything will be fine. Go ahead, lie to your boss at work. Nobody's ever going to find out. He continues to tell us over and over again, there are no real lasting consequences for sin. It'll be just fine. Do what you want. You'll be able to handle whatever comes down the road. But the truth is, the wages of sin is death. This is a passage being written to Christians. Now it applies to non-Christians too. But when Paul penned that verse, he was writing to believers, telling them, stay away from sin. The wages of sin is death. When as a believer you commit a sin, God disciplines us. And it says in Hebrews, it hurts. Nobody enjoys being disciplined. He tells us, look, you will reap what you sow. Choose to sin and you will become a slave to sin. You cannot play with fire and not get burned. Sin will always cost us more than we intend to pay. Always. Every situation. If you think, if I make this sinful choice and you try to imagine the consequences, it will always be worse than what you imagine. Because the wages of sin is death. It's true for a Christian or for a non-Christian. Line number four. I'm in charge of my own life. This is the lie that Satan uses with the Jewish leaders in John chapter 8. They're interacting with Jesus and Jesus is talking about how they're slaves. And they say, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anybody. We make our own decisions. Nobody tells us what to do. This is the lie Satan continues to tell us. He whispers in our ear, don't listen to that pastor. I'm not involved. I'm not in charge of you. You're in charge of me. You're the one telling me what to do. You're in charge of your own life. Don't listen to that guy. He's telling you I'm trying to influence. I'm not. You're not addicted. You could give up drinking anytime you wanted. You're in charge. You're not a workaholic. You could stop working anytime you wanted. You're not controlled by money. You're in charge of your own life. You're the master of your fate, the captain of your soul. You make your own decisions. But the truth is, Paul says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, 
you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Every single one of us who are believers in Jesus have a choice who we want to be slaves to. You can choose to be a slave to sin still, or you can choose to be a slave to God. But the point is, we're all working for somebody. That's why James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Either the devil's going to be giving you orders, or God's going to be giving you orders. Somebody is going to be giving us orders. If we're a Christian, then Jesus is our Lord, which means he's in charge, and we're not. Satan knows we'd never sign up for Satan being in charge. So what he tells us is that we're in charge. And God says, there's no free agents in this world. You're either serving Jesus and working for him, or you are working against him. Those are the